It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Tuesday episode of Locked On Raptors, there isn't just one thing that'll make or break the Jakob Pertle experiment in Toronto, but there is one thing that could make or break it more than anything else. We'll talk about that and dig into some list listener questions on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Thanks so much for hanging. Oh, like because when I shot, I expected to make it, so like I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. going on welcome to episode number 1342 of locked on raptors for tuesday february the 14th happy valentine's day to those observing i'm of course your host sean woodley i've been covering the toronto raptors now for nine seasons on various platforms you can find all of my work over on twitter at woodley sean you can find the show at locked on raptors you can follow subscribe to rate and review the podcast for free on your favorite podcast apps. And of course, we are on YouTube. You can go hit the big red subscribe button to support the show on the YouTube side of things. I believe we're one subscriber away as we speak from 2,900 on the YouTube channel. Let's get 101 more and get to that 3K, baby. We love the round numbers here because it helps my brain. Uh, today's show is brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started all right on today's show got some listener questions we're going to get into in terms of number semiotics with Jakob Pertl rocking the number 19 we're going to talk about Jakob Pertl as well through the lens of could the Raptors have just signed and traded for him if they really wanted to in the offseason that those questions so many more coming up on today's show but I did want to start off by digging into something that I think is very important when it comes to the fact-finding mission we're on between now and the end of the season and sort of determining what works, what doesn't work, who is going to be around long-term with this team, and how the Jakob Pertl experiment is all kind of tied tied in with it. And I think, for me, you know, we're going to dig into a whole bunch of these little things, these little important questions that the Raptors have asked of themselves and are trying to gather information on in a pretty compressed amount of time here as we go along throughout the, the coming weeks and months here on the show. But for me, I think the one thing that's very clear to me is that this whole thing the Raptors are doing, this whole trade for Yaka Pirtle, not moving anybody else off at the deadline, trying to gather information for the next couple months here before making final declarative decisions on what the team is going to look like, who's going to be part of the solution, who's going to be part of the Scotty Barnes era going forward. I think a big question that hinges on all of this, and I think the Raptors are betting on, is the shooting of Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes. And I do feel like the answer to that question of, can those two dudes shoot enough, is probably the most important thing when it comes to 
is this going to work? Is the Jakob Pertl, Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes front court something you can roll with going forward, or will you have to pivot? And does that a make the Jakob Pertl trade look like a bad investment in retrospect? Does it mean that Pascal Siakam maybe gets kind of nudged out of the plans just because? of space and shooting and the need to properly complement this roster with enough three-point shooting to make it all work together. And those two guys, Pascal and Scotty, like there's a lot riding on those two becoming at least average three-point shooters, average-ish guys who aren't great necessarily, but are guys who you got to think about twice when leaving wide open and, and, can, and can burn teams when left wide open. That's a huge question because neither of those guys have really shown all that much capacity for being great three-point shooters. Obviously, Pascal's had his moments. He'll have his heaters, of course, when the jumper is on, when the touch is there. He can pour in four of seven, five of seven, whatever. Like He's very good when he's in the zone. It's more of a sort of night-to-night, you're not totally sure what you're going to get with his three-point stroke type of situation. Scotty Barnes, it's just, you know, it's been left to be desired, I think, really since the first couple months of his rookie season, where it looked like, oh, God, Scotty Barnes hitting threes? This is a problem for everybody, not including, like, the Raptors is not a problem for, because he's hitting threes for them, but everybody else, oh, my God, if Scotty Barnes is burying threes, that's a real problem. And the reason I think the three-point shooting is even like more of a big question than, say, the defense, for example, is I'm pretty sure the defense is going to be all right. You know, obviously very short sample here, just two games, like 81 possessions, 88 possessions or something like that per cleaning the glass with Jakob Pertl on the floor. But I think you're already seeing the change that he's going to bring to the Raptors' defense, and I do think he's going to help make this more of that sort of top 10-ish defense that we thought they were going to be coming into the season because he's a very good rim protector. Even if they're not going to use him in like the ideal fashion in more of a drop defense setting and have him kind of be close to the rim, if they're going to ask him to come out of the perimeter, that's not ideal, of course, come up high in those pick-and-roll coverages. You don't want that all the time necessarily. It's not his bag. But even if they don't use him 100% as you'd like to see him used... He's good enough just by being a seven-foot rim protection specialist to solve a lot of the problems the Raptors have on defense. You know, the perimeter defense questions are another thing entirely, but he can help fix those problems, clean up those messes in a way no one on the team has really been able to do over the last couple of seasons. And the defense so far, the early returns are very good. With Yak on the floor over the last two games, 102.3 defensive rating. They're a plus 12.5 net rating overall with Yak on the floor. He matters. Obviously, two bad teams. The Jazz, of course, they lose to the bad team in the Jazz. So, you know, call them bad if you at your peril, I suppose. Call the Raptors respectable at your peril, I suppose. Uh, and then barely beating the Pistons. Like, not exactly two games that you're going to go and build a sample out of or anything like that. All of these samples are caveated with the fact that they are minuscule and probably irrelevant. But the early returns on the defense, I, I think, line up with what you'd expect with the arrival of Jakob Pertl. It's the shooting... And the way the offense operates, even more so than just the shooting itself, that's going to be the determining factor of can you play with a front court of Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, and Jakob Pertl when things matter down the stretch of games over the course of 82 games? Can you build your cap sheet out of those guys occupying significant portions of it? Obviously, Scotty less so right now, but in the future, he's going to get paid, obviously. Can you work those three guys in and have enough shooting, enough offensive punch around them to be a good offense and to outscore what you're doing on the defensive end? And look, in fairness, 
They won't have to, in theory, outscore their defensive problems the way they've had to over the last couple of months nearly as much with Yakka Pirtle in tow. They've been a miserable defense, you know, before Yak arrived over the previous month and a half, and their offense has been good enough to get them by and win some games that maybe their defense suggests that they shouldn't have. Now I think the question comes, can the offense hold up, you know, when you're up against real defenses that are actually keyed in for you, can you get enough going? You know, I think two things are going to be really important here. Scotty and Pascal, obviously the three-point shooting, and can they become a team that lives at the rim? I think it's there for them to grab if they want to. I think the way they've played offense this season where they've been very ISO-heavy, mismatch-heavy, kind of selfish, I think that's worked against them getting to the rim a lot. You think back to the start of the season when Nick Nurse talked about how getting to the rim, getting free throws, obviously the three-point ball too, were going to be massive things they were focusing on, those low-hanging fruit things on offense. Everybody knows getting to the rim is the most valuable shot in basketball. And to the Raptors' credit, they've been better at it this year than they have been in the past. Last year, they were 26th per cleaning the glass in both frequency and accuracy at the rim. This year, they're 19th in accuracy, 17th in frequency, middle of the pack. You want to be better than that, but that's progress. They got to be even better than that, I think, especially if Scotty Barnes and Pascal are going to be the ho-hum shooters they are so far. You know, Pascal, I think I'm fine with his shooting. Like, if his shooting stays the same... I think they can probably get by. He's a 34-ish percent shooter over the last couple of seasons. That seems to have leveled off after his dip uh, in the 2019-20 season, or was it 2021? He was like 36%, I want to say, in uh, the... the, the well, let me pull this up. I'm screwing up my years. Either way, I, the last couple of seasons, he's at like 34% from three. And that, to me, feels like where he's about to settle in. His career numbers are about 33%. Um, you know, we had back... Uh, yeah, it was 2021, 1920, where he was at 36%, 37% in his most improved player season. So anywhere between 34 and 37, if Pascal settles in there, I think that's good enough. He's got the mid-range game. He obviously can dictate what's going on on the floor better than most ball handlers can he can overcome I think being an okay three-point shooter Scotty Barnes is going to have to be pretty good I think in particular in catch and shoot situations where it's coming to him as part of the flow of the offense and it might require him to just put a shot up whether it's late in the clock whether it's just a wide open look that they've created that's come to Scotty the team's not worried about it he's got to burn teams for that and to his credit, he's improved slightly so far this season when it comes to his three-point shooting. You know, he's kind of around the same 31-ish percent year over year, but his catch-and-shoot numbers have improved a smidge from 29% last season up to 32.5% this season, which is not like a massive leap or anything like that, but it's enough of a step in the right direction, I think, where you can feel all right. He's currently shooting 45% from the left corner. It's just 22 attempts. He's 10 of 22. Uh, that's the only place on the floor from three-point range where he's shooting above league average. He's kind of miserable, like 24% from the right corner. He's like 31% all around above the break. Um, you know, I, I think if he can maintain that 31, 32 from above the break and just really key in on being a good corner three-point shooter, that will give them enough juice when you combine it with the passing that Yak and Pascal and Scotty all provide, that that is a huge advantage. You can make a good offense out of that playmaking and, and passing and ball handling. And then you have to obviously sprinkle in shooters around them. It's going to be a challenge tonight for the Raptors to do that. It seems as though Gary Trent Jr. is going to be out again, no OG, and then no Precious Achua, who's not shooting very well, but is someone who can take threes and is willing to do it. I'm fascinated to see who's going to be the fifth starter tonight, you know, alongside Yak and Scotty, Pascal, and Fred. I wonder if they roll like a, 
uh, an old Dwayne Casey special where you pull someone from deep bench and kind of bypass the rotation just to keep your bench rotation intact. I wonder if Joe Wieskamp gets a look maybe now that he's signed to a real deal. Obviously a very good three-point shooter has bombed away in the couple instances he's gotten a chance with the Raptors. I do wonder maybe that's the way they go. Uh, do they go Wancho? Do they just go Chris Boucher, who's been better of late from three than he was all of last season, essentially, kind of around that 33% mark now, which is positive improvement for sure, where you want to see him settle in, I think, maybe slightly above that, but maybe Boucher comes in. Either way, what happens tonight is less important than what happens between now and the end of the season. And I think the key number to watch, really, to sort of determine the health, the long-term viability of this shooting light front court is the the offensive rating when Barnes, Siakam, and Pirtle share the floor. You're going to be able to dot shooters around those guys basically at all times, at least passable shooters. You have Fred, obviously, OG, Trent, Boucher. Like, go on down the line. You have guys you can sprinkle in to be reasonable shooters along those guys. But can those three still maintain a good offense when when they're on the floor? So far, again, so good. Two really bad defenses in the Jazz and the, uh, the the Detroit Pistons, but 134 offensive rating, 114 points per play in the half court for that lineup as well, that, that trio so far in two games together. Uh, again, very early returns. Sample means just about no, nothing, but if that is what you're holding up, I mean, 114 points per play would be the best half court offense in the league by many, many miles. Um, that's not going to hold up, obviously, but if they can just be pretty good on offense. I think the defense has a chance to be excellent with that front court trio, especially as Scotty Barnes matures as a defender, comes into, I think, the sort of roaming help role that I think he's really going to thrive in long term. If that can sort of hold up and the defense can be as good as you think with Yaka Pirtle back there cleaning up the messes and the offense can be just good enough, have just enough shooting to scrape by, then I think that trio is viable long term. If it's not, if these two guys, you know, completely crater, there's no development in the offseason in their, in their three-point game, I don't think they're going to make a grand decision on the three-point shooting viability of Scotty Barnes by June or anything like that because he's a young player, guys improve, but you have to see that steady improvement and feel like there's an upside there to tap into three-point-wise. And Scotty Barnes' is shooting, especially when paired with Siakam and Pirtle, is going to be one of the most important swing skills on this team going forward. Pretty convinced of that. We're going to continue on here and leave off this sort of, uh, you know, (laughs) digging into a thing that could potentially undo the Raptors from the inside. We'll get to your listener questions coming up in just a second. We got some great ones that came in, some fun, lighthearted ones, some heavier ones as well about the direction of the team and all that. We'll get to that in one sec. But first, got to tell you about our friends over at FanDuel, the place to go if you're looking to get into sports wagering. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can button everything from the money line to point scores to three-pointers drained. you got the in-game parlay, same-game parlay, so for example tonight Raptors are playing the magic you want to go and bet on you know Pascal Siakam hitting the over for points Fred Van Vliet hitting the over for threes made and Scotty Barnes hitting the over for assists you can go do that and win some scratch go ahead and plus FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with that same game parlay so go have some fun don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on that's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more make every moment more with FanDuel the official sports betting partner of the NBA and of locked on 
We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, we continue on here with your first listen of the day. Uh, Digging into your listener questions now. Lots of good questions came in. We will examine them all. This one here comes from Ben Chapman at ChapmanBA asking, why do we think the team that always seems to fall back on, quote, we can get something for them in a sign-and-trade, didn't think waiting for a sign-and-trade was a viable option for Pirtle? Is the premium they paid for his bird rights worth it for 25 games of fact-finding? This is a really good question, and uh, you know it does kind of turn the Raptors' own philosophies back on them. I, I think when it comes to Pirtle, you know, one of the things here I wonder is, is it a matter of keeping him away from whichever other team might have landed him? For example, the Boston Celtics. The Celtics land Pirtle. Do they look to keep him as a team that's not got a lot in terms of cap space and wiggle room? They're probably going to lose Grant Williams in the offseason is this maybe a way where they get Pirtle in the door and try to keep him? Do you prevent another team from getting Yaka Pirtle? That's kind of part one of this. I also think, like, if you have a guy in mind, if you want to target him, if you think you have a real chance of getting him and keeping him long-term, which it seems like they do with Pirtle, I don't mind getting him in the door for that fact-finding because the fact-finding, as much as there's air quotes around it in Ben's question, it is a real thing. We've seen, so far this season, a massive thing the Raptors lack is big man play rim protection, traditional center things. And I think considering the weirdness of this season, I know it's been disappointing and plenty of folks have determined this team bad and terrible and not worth keeping around. And that's fine. You know, whatever. We can disagree. That's cool. But I do think if the whole season suggests everything that happens has suggested, man, this would be so much better with just a regular center in there and you can go get that center. I'm fine with that. Look, I don't love the protections on the pick for next season. One through six feels a little bit light for me. That said, as someone who still thinks there's a good team in here somewhere and who thinks you can turn this into a good team next season as well, in an Eastern Conference that's going to be diminished with the Nets probably dropping off from sort of upper crust contention, who the hell knows what's going to happen with the Sixers if that all goes to hell, like Sixers playoff runs typically tend to go to hell. Um, You know, maybe there's some big, you know, shakeups there coming too. You know, I'm not terribly worried about like the ascent of the Hawks or the Wizards or even like the Knicks or anything like that. Like the Raptors could put themselves right back into the top six conversation pretty comfortably within a year. I think when you factor in the the, the improvement of a, of a Scotty Barnes of a, of a Precious Achua, and so I think it's worth getting a look at the guys you have on the roster right now playing alongside a real center. It's been the thing all year long. They should have done it sooner is the thing. Like they should have, you know, maybe you you pony up and you only protect it one through four or something like that to get it done earlier in the year and save the season, as it were. Maybe I'm putting too much on Yakka Pirtle's capacity to save the Raptors season, but I do think we've seen early on here that it's valuable to see what this team can do with a real big man. Was Yak ever my first choice? Not necessarily. I think they probably could have gone out the directions that fit the roster and the build a little bit more often to make it so questions about the shooting that are, is around him in the front court with Scotty and Pascal aren't even things you got to consider. If you could find a shooting big man, you can't always find a shooting big man. It's hard to do. 
I don't mind going to get your guy, even if I disagree with the level of protection on the picks. I ultimately don't think it's going to come back and burn them because, you know, I was hoping lottery protected, right? That was my dream protection on those picks. I feel like they stand a pretty good chance of avoiding the lottery when you consider they're a positive point differential team this season, despite all that's gone on, despite how poorly they've played and how nonsensical it's all looked. You'd have to think, at least I have to think, that that they're going to be back in that top six conversation as of next season. You know, obviously pending whatever happens this offseason. And there's going to be a lot of stuff that happens this offseason. This offseason could blow up in their faces and go poorly enough that they go into next year with a team that's not ready to go and compete for a playoff spot. Uh, I'm going to err on the side of I think they're going to do that. And I, I think just a little bit more of a of a look at what this team can do with Yak helps you inform what your offseason decisions are going to be as opposed to making all these decisions in the offseason and then having to go also get a center to see how it all works. I feel like these 26 games of Yak in the lineup are going to be very valuable, and I think it's worth the price they paid, even if it's a little bit of an excessive price. Next question here. This one comes in also from uh, Jake Talks Sports asking, how do you feel about the Yakub package in relation to the impact he should have on the team? Kind of, again, along the lines of the Yakub Hurdle package. Look, I know the protections are a thing to hang up on, but ultimately... What the Raptors have traded here in giving up their first round pick next season is like two first, two second rounders, blah. Ken Birch, they got off the money. That's actually a positive thing, getting off Ken Birch's money. That is good for the books. That's good for the long-term planning of the team here because you don't have that money on the books next year. Again, they shouldn't have signed it to begin with, but at least you have the, that money off the books now. Um, you know, I think that's worth paying some sort of premium for. I, I ultimately think first round picks... That's something the Raptors can go and replenish if they trade OG Ananobi at the draft or, or, or whatever it might be. That's something that, you know, they're going to have a first round pick thrown into the mix this year as well, which should be a pretty decent pick, you know, even if it's not a lottery pick, you know, maybe it's 16th or whatever. That's still a decent pick to throw into your mix and put into your program around what you already have. Um, you know, I, I think ultimately the, 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 the package is done now. I don't think you should tie your feeling of uh, a guy or, or the way you watch a guy to what you gave up to get him. I think that's a good way to kind of be resentful and whatnot. Um, you know, the, he didn't choose to be traded for his first round pick. And ultimately, I think the impact he's going to have is going to be significant enough that you won't feel too badly about it. And if he's good enough, if he's very good and the Raptors do solve a lot of their problems with Jakob Pertl in tow, then that first round pick conversation becomes way less concerning because you're giving up more likely than not a non-lottery pick next year and you can make your peace with that and move on it's if the pick starts to get into that weird zone where it keeps on conveying and conveying because they end up in the top six next year or something like that that that's where i think you get in some real trouble because you're tying up picks for trades and stuff like that um i'm not too concerned we're going to come back on the other side get to a couple more mailbag questions to round it all out before we send you off into your Tuesday evening to watch Raptors Magic, baby. Raptors Magic without Terrence Ross, by the way, which makes me very sad. As much as I'm thrilled Terrence Ross has gone to the Phoenix Suns to go try to win a chip, uh, you know, not seeing Terry Ross four times a year across the, 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 the floor from the team I like is going to make me sad. We'll get to that in just one sec. But first, got to tell you about our friends over at LinkedIn Jobs. As a small business owner or hiring manager, you know that success in 2023 all depends on the team members you surround yourself with, and that's why you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with the people who have the skills, values, and experience 
to help you achieve your goals. LinkedIn jobs help you quickly attract qualified candidates to your open jobs by, with their targeting tools that go beyond resume data to help you find that needle in the haystack by using insights from your job post com company and their 875 million member profiles to put your post in front of the most qualified candidates. It's like bringing all of the needles out of the haystack right to the top so you can sort through the ones you want to interview. LinkedIn jobs makes it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your quality, based on job qualifications all on one platform. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified co candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedInMBA. That's linkedin.com slash LockedInMBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Jake from Locked On. There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but really the first words you want to say are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And trust me, as someone named Jake, that is a fact. That's the phrase that will help you feel good knowing that you have people who could help you find the right coverage for the things you want to protect. Insurance doesn't need to be complicated with a State Farm agent. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits you because your situation is unique. And State Farm is there to help you feel supported with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. And when you need ways to get help, don't yell or be angry because State Farm gives you options there too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com or their award-winning app. State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, let's round out the show here with a couple more mailbag questions coming in. Uh, this first one here comes from Santi Espinoza asking, we're currently ninth. With the addition of Yakupertal, how much higher is the probability of making that top six spot by the end of the season? So if you take a look at the standings right now, you have the Raptors sitting at 27 and 31 in that ninth spot after last night's action with the Bulls having lost four in a row. They're no good. The Wizards having lost uh, last night as well. They're also no good. <laughs> I think the Raptors, as much as you might not like it, are going to be in the plane in some way, shape, or form. Obviously, you want to try to get up to that 7-8 game so you have two shots at it as opposed to uh, you know, being winner, go home in two straight games, being in that 9 or 10 spot. You're obviously starting behind the 8 ball there. Right now, they sit five games back of the Miami Heat. I think that's going to be a difficult mountain to climb to catch number six in the East. Even if the Brooklyn Nets fall down, they're still well ahead of the Raptors, five and a half games up, six and a half games up right now. And I think the Nets actually kind of have a reasonable roster. Will it translate to a lot of wins? I'm not sure. I think it'll translate to enough wins, however, that they're not going to slide too, too far in the standings. And as much as I don't think they're a playoff quality team now, I think they'll just be there by virtue of having banked 33 wins to this point. You know, that's a lot of ground for the Raptors to make up in not a whole lot of time. Um, they're going to need the Nets to really stink, which I don't think they do. When it comes to who I think they can jump, like I think the Hawks are eminently jumpable. I think the Hawks are not very good. They don't play defense. They don't really seem to have a whole lot of an identity around Trey Young. They've invited Sadiq Bey, whose whole thing in Detroit was, I'm going to commandeer the offense and make everybody not like me uh, while doing it inefficiently. And they've added him to the mix now, too, which feels like a decidedly very pro-Atlanta Hawks-type move in that uh, he fits exactly the type of players they tend to employ. Um Will that translate to them being better? I'm pretty skeptical of that. I think the Hawks are passable, for sure. I, you know, the Knicks are pretty solid. They have a, a three-game edge in the loss column on the Raptors right now. 
uh, four games that is sorry like that's going to be a tough hill to climb as well I don't think there's some incredible team or anything like that I think the Knicks are fine but Jalen Brunson's playing out of his mind if that continues they're going to be tough to track down so I ultimately think getting top six pretty unlikely Getting even to 7th is going to be a bit of a climb, but can they go from ninth to 8th? Absolutely they can. I think the Hawks stink. And so as much as the Raptors also might stink in addition to that, I think the Raptors have the juice and the easy schedule coming up as well to potentially climb a little bit in the standings up into that 8th spot and get themselves two shots at the play-in. And, uh, you know, we, we can talk about what comes after that after. A 1-8 with the Celtics, not going to be the most fun in the world, but hey, Playoff experience is good. Playing is good. If you get two playing games, that's fun times. The single elimination ball is good. Um, anyway, next question here. This one comes in from Eric Morris at Epic Moppus. Classic question asker on the show and uh, the most famous Tennessee Toronto Raptors fan that I know, at least. If you feel like you have a claim to being the most famous Tennessee uh, Raptors fan or the most notable, whatever it is, let me know. Uh, Eric, though, asks, how does number 19 on Jakob Pertl strike you? I think it fits him, but I think it'll take a bit longer before I start thinking of him as a 19. Uh, this is an excellent question. This is the type of stuff I think about far too much. I love jersey numbers, semiotics. Of course, with the Raptors, he was number 42, which I always loved next to number 43, Pascal Siakam. I just, you know, having two best buds be numbers back to back. I think that is very touching and cool. Um, Yak said that number 19 is a personal choice for me. He played, you are 25 with the Spurs. He says 19 was a personal choice. He's not going to reveal why it is. Uh, sounds like Sherman Hamilton on the broadcast noted that he knows why it is. He's just not going to share it. I, I don't have an inkling as to what it might be. I do think 19 is a weird number for a center. And I think this is because of my hockey brain. Number 19 I've always associated as like a winger number, as like a forward number. And as much as I find, obviously, you know, you have a similar sort of setup in theory with guards in basketball kind of in theory representing your defensemen and then you're centered and two you know wing players representing your forwards in, in hockey i kind of view it in the inverse where i kind of view like your center and your power forward as your defensemen and therefore your wing players and your point guards are more your forwards this might make no sense in anybody's brain, but this is why I'm having trouble with number 19 for Jakob Pertl. The center feels like the, the stay-at-home defenseman of a hockey team, and that feels like a single-digit number, like a number two or a number six or something like that is more warranted for that type of player. Um, 19 feels like a forward number. It's like Joe Sackick. You know, I think, you know, who are the number 19s? There's lots of 19s, lots of wingers and stuff like that wear number 19. It's like uh, the number you get in hockey like the defensemen usually get the lower numbers when you're playing growing up the the forwards get the higher numbers like 19 and so for me defensive center number 19 doesn't quite line up to me um there's a theory that i have is that 19 is actually like a chip on the shoulder type number for Jakob pertle it's the year in which he was not on the Raptors when they won the championship. Maybe he's using that as some sort of fuel. It's like, you guys traded me away. All right, I'll wear this number as a symbol of my chip being on my shoulder forever, um, or lack of chip, I suppose. Probably doing way too much psychoanalysis of the number 19 for Jakob Pertl, but I'm not a huge fan of number 19 for a center. We shall see, of course, the first Raptor in history to wear number 19 as well. So we can't even compare him to former numbers 19 um and sort of see if there's any sort of synergy there 
it's a strange one. It's going to take me some time as well, Eric. I, I, I think maybe it'll grow on me, but I'm finding a hard time, number 19 being the number that Yakapurtle's sporting out there, because my brain's weird. Uh, <laughs> let's get to one final question here, uh, and that one comes from Those Guys Sports, who is sort of asking about the difficulty in sorting out whether you want the team to get a top 10 draft pick or make the play-in and his question is is this team too good to miss out on the play-in i think they are too good to miss out on the plane i think you got to prepare yourself those of you who really want to you know scope out the lottery odds and be excited about having the seventh best odds or whatever which is not my thing i don't love it but if you love it that's fine i'm not here to disagree we all in- interact with the sport differently and that's cool um but like prepare yourself this team's gonna be in the plane everyone's gonna hate it everyone's gonna be really upset about it until the games happen and the single elimination basketball magic takes you over and you live and die with every single possession in those games. And that's the stuff you remember as a fan. So it's all right. Top 10 pick will be nice. Sure. Maybe they still end up losing the plane and end up in the lottery anyway and get some luck there from the deep part of the lottery, which to me would be like the lottery gods way of thanking you for trying, I guess, is if you're really going for it you're trying admirably to get the 14th pick in the draft and you end up getting it as opposed to tanking down to get the fifth pick in the draft i feel like that's like the type of behavior the lottery gods will favor and so uh you know whether you believe in the lottery gods or not uh, they're, they're a thing uh, so maybe maybe that's uh the sort of salve here maybe you can't have your cake and eat it too because it's an ethical ninth seed that the raptors will go and get themselves as opposed to tanking down um again I know there's a lot of folks not thrilled about the idea of the play-in. That play-in for what has become this sort of rallying cry of the fan base because of Masai Ujiri saying it two years ago. I think there's got to be room for fun, good times in single elimination basketball. And Raptors haven't partaken in a a play-in game so far. I I wouldn't mind seeing the experience of it. Maybe it's something I'll deeply hate and never want to see again, and it'll give me ulcers and all of that, but I'm kind of intrigued and excited by the idea of it, and I really do think as much as the Raptors continue to disappoint and play down to competition and not take care of business when taking care of business seems almost like it's just there for them to do, and yet they still can't do it, um, I I still think that uh, ultimately... The play-in is uh, this team's destiny, whether it's team, the 7, 8, 9 seed. I think 10 seed even probably is going to be a little too low. Um, they're, just, they're just more talented than a lot of these teams, man, and, and they make a lot more sense, I think, now that Yaka Pirtle's in there than, say, the Hawks do as a team. Um, I could see them putting together a bit of a string here and finishing with a you know less than stellar record, but still being in that plane and uh you got to prepare yourselves for it if you prepare yourself for it if you are expecting the plan and they don't make it then and you are one someone who wants them to fall further in the lottery then hey that's great if you are expecting them to make the plane and they do make it then that's fun too and they've lived to your expectations so expectations is kind of what this whole thing is about isn't it we're gonna wrap it there thank you so much for tuning in we'll be back again tomorrow to break down raptors magic we've got mark schindler from the athletic coming on later this week as well to talk about Jakob Pertle. he's a big fan of the yak fit with the raptors We'll dig into why that is later this week. And then, of course, uh, we'll send you off into the All-Star break on Friday as well. Show TBD then. Either way, thank you so much for tuning in. Please support the show by subscribing, following, rating, and reviewing for free on your favorite podcast apps and on YouTube. And now go make your second listen of the day. 
Locked on Leafs. The Buds are good. They're perhaps interested in Timo Meyer, the bell of the ball, the NHL trade deadline. Go check out Locked on Leafs as they break that all down for you and get you set for a stretch run that should be very thrilling for your Toronto Maple Leafs. We will leave it there. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you Wednesday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Bye. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.